بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم الحمد لله حمدا كثيرا طيبا مباركا فيه مباركا عليه كما يحب ربنا ويرضى جل جلاله وعم نواله والصلاة والسلام على سيد الحبيب المصطفى صلى الله تعالى عليه وعلى آله وصحبه وبارك وسلم تسليما كثيرا إلى يوم الدين أما بعد Dear brothers, dear sisters, dear friends Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has told us through his messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and through the Qur'an that the day of judgment is near As-sa'ah and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala describes the sa'ah describes the day of judgment in various different terms in the Qur'an Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ لَيْسَ لِوَقَعَتِهَا كَاذِبَةِ خَافِذَةُ الرَّافِعَةِ so, إِذَا وَقَعَتِ الْوَاقِعَةِ الْوَاقِعَةِ The thing which occurs, this is the Day of Judgment. Then we have another surah, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, الْقَارِعَةُ مَا الْقَارِعَةِ وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا الْقَارِعَةِ So, الْقَارِعَةِ الْوَاقِعَةِ Then Allah says, الْحَاقَّةُ مَا الْحَاقَّةِ وَمَا أَدَرَاكَ مَا الْحَاقَّةِ So, حَاقَّةِ The thing, again, the thing which is surely to occur. And again, Al-Qari'ah, that's another name. So we have all of these. وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ السَّاعَةِ أَيَّانَ مُرْسَاهَا Sa'ah, sometimes it's mentioned as Sa'ah, the time. There were, before the time of the Prophet ﷺ, before Islam, uh, before uh, the Prophet ﷺ started his mission, the Arabs used to have numerous names for death. One of the names was Maut, then there's Hatf. There's numerous terms for death in Arabic. But the one word that was introduced by Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala through the Quran was Tawaffa. Tawaffa yatawaffa. And a lot of the time in the Quran for death, the word Tawaffa is being used. And the word Tawaffa comes from the word Wafa in Arabic. Wafa. What does wafa mean in Arabic? It means to complete, to finish off, to have the wholesome product. Wafa. He fulfilled his pledge. Wafa. Right? So tawaffa means to finish your term and complete what your term is in this world. Complete whatever years Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given you, whatever days Allah has given you. The reason why the word tawaffa is used in the Quran more than maut and all of these other things is because Allah wanted to introduce a new idea about death not a new idea but the real idea about death he wanted to correct a misconception a misunderstanding the misunderstanding among the Arabs was as one of the leaders of the Quraysh came to the Prophet and he took an old bone a decayed old bone and he took two of them together, he rubbed them together until they became dust and he said, are you saying that after we become like this that Allah is going to bring us, uh, bring, bring us back to life? So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has revealed the num numerous verses about being brought wahiya ramim, even though we're ramim and we totally uh, 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 in, in small pieces atomized the bones etc, we're going to be brought back into uh, into the body and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will resurrect everybody in the hereafter.
So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala wanted to introduce the idea that there is a hereafter to come. And when you die here, you're just fulfilling your time of this world to show that this world is just a phase. The real phase is the hereafter. So then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala then has helped us through the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam by tell, telling us that there's going to be numerous signs. Signs, alamat, and elements, ayat, that tells us that the Day of Judgment is close. So we have a lot of signs. There are numerous signs that are mentioned about the Day of Judgment. So that's why the scholars have taken those signs and divided them to make it easy for us to understand which signs mean what. Because some are called the distant signs. Some are the close signs. Distant signs means that it happens as early. The Prophet ﷺ coming in this world is one sign of the Day of Judgment because he's the last Prophet. Right? When the Prophet ﷺ, his death, his departure from this world is one of the first signs. Then he mentioned a number of things which occurred very soon after him. For example, one of them is that there will be young men, that, well, it says young boys of Quraysh who will become, who will come into power. The Ghilmanu Quraysh. The Ghilmanu Quraysh. They will come into power. And we saw that around the 60 Hijri. Because Ali radiallahu, uh, the, the, after the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, anhu, he was the Khalif for about two years and some months. Then Umar radiallahu anhu was Khalif for another uh, eight to ten years. Uh, and then after that, Umar, uh, Uthman radiallahu anhu was another Khalif for, uh, Khalif for another ten years or so. And the Prophet had mentioned that the Khilafah after me will be for 40 years, meaning a special Khilafah, the trustworthy Khilafah. Then after that will come kingdoms, kingships, so then Ali radiallahu anhu then became Khalifa for about four years. And now that was coming to the 40th year after Hijrah. So when Ali radiallahu anhu passed away, the problem started from the end of Uthman radiallahu anhu's time. But when Ali radiallahu anhu passed away at the end, he was assassinated. Then Hassan radiallahu anhu became Khalifa for six months. Then he himself handed this over to Muawiyah radiallahu anhu who was in Sham. Because Muawiyah radiallahu anhu was very powerful at the time and he had uh, much of the army under him and they used to listen to him. Whereas there was a lot of chaos in other areas. But he had the most stable system. So he handed it over to him and then he became Khalif for the next decade or so and there was peace that reigned again for a long time. Then after he passed away, then Yazid, his son, became the Khalif for some years. Then after that, it was his son whose name was Muawiyah again. Muawiyah the second. He was a very nice man, but he died very shortly afterwards. Then eventually moved on until you had the Umayyads, Marwan. In between you had Abdullah ibn Az-Zubayr who became the Khalif of majority of the Muslim world except some small areas. But then afterwards, Abdul Malik ibn, uh, from after Marwan was Abdul Malik his son. And he had Hajjaj ibn Yusuf. And they eventually deposed of Abdullah ibn Zubayr and had him killed and hung. Uh, and uh, finally, the whole of the Muslim world came under the Umayyads, the, the Umayyun, which is the sons of Marwan. Generally, the sons of Marwan, though they're Umayyah, Banu Umayyah, this is Uthman radiallahu anhu's tribe, Muawiyah radiallahu anhu's tribe, it, it was one of the tribes. That's why they called him the Umayyah, Banu Umayyah, right? The Umayyin. 
So among them, then, you had a number of leaders later, right, who were young. So they said that this is one of the signs of the Day of Judgment. There were numerous signs. In fact, the Prophet had said to, uh, uh, had, uh, had spoken about Hassan and Hussein radiallahu anhu. He said about Hassan radiallahu anhu that you will... Uh, you, uh, you know, because of you, two great groups will find peace. And it is new, numerous, numerous, uh, numerous other signs. The Prophet ﷺ had said that a day will come in Medina Munawwara when the fire, there will be a fire that will erupt from Medina Munawwara and it will illuminate the necks of the camels of Busra. Not Basra, Basra is in Iraq. This is Busra Sham, which is just south of Damascus. That's. Uh, many hundreds of kilometers away uh, but the fire will erupt and it will be like this so what happened then uh, just a few centuries later in Medina Munawwara is that there was an eruption of a volcano it seems and it, the lava etc seems to be just coming towards the Masjid al-Nabawi and finally what happened is the whole of the inhabitants of Medina Munawwara the Amir and everybody else they just started praying and miraculously what happened is that while this fire is coming, uh, it got diverted. And today the ecologists have gone and they've surveyed this area because, you know, lava, it leaves a black kind of rock. So there are the two lava tracks outside of Medina Munawar, the well-known, the Labitain as they call them. So it's quite amazing when those ecologists, when they look at it, they see that the lava was going in one direction and then suddenly it just shifted, just totally shifted to another direction. That was prophesied by the Prophet So You can call them prophecies. Then the Prophet talked about the signs of the Day of Judgment in more particular, uh, in, a, in a more particular detail. Uh, within that you have two types of signs. You have what they call the major signs and you have the minor signs. Uh, what is the difference between a major and a minor sign? The difference between a minor sign and a major sign is that minor signs are those signs which will um, occur in different intensities in different areas. So you might find that there's one sign which is occurring, it's more intense in one area at a given time but not so in another time. For example, one of the minor signs is uh, disobedience to parents. Children not listening to parents. That's one, that's one sign. Now, alhamdulillah, in some areas it's, worse, uh, in, it, it's better than in other areas. Disobedience to parents is not the same everywhere. Right? It's not everywhere that everybody is disobedient. In some places they're more disobedient, in other places they're a bit better. Then, the prevalence of dance and music. That's another minor sign. Again, in some places, it's worse than others. In some places, it's everywhere, that's all you see. Um, if somebody's not listening to it outside, they're listening to headphones, they're walking around, that's what they're doing, right? They can't, th life becomes miserable without that shaitan. Right? Life is miserable without it. There has to be a constant feed. So this is again another sign. Some of the small signs, I, you know, uh, I've got a, on zamzamacademy.com, we've got a whole series, I don't know how many, how many, 46. There's 46 lectures on, in detail from the beginning to the end of the main minor and then the major signs. So I said the minor signs are 
the small signs which will occur in different places in different amounts and different intensities. And we could be involved in some of this. We just have to try to avoid it. Being a minor sign, especially if it's a negative minor sign, sometimes a negative, we have to avoid it. The major sign will be different. The difference in the major sign is that it will be global. It will affect everybody. Minor signs don't affect everybody. You can stay away from it. But the major sign it will affect everybody. It will be a worldwide change. So today I'm just going to mention a few of the minor signs. I'm going to focus more on the major signs. But in the short time we have, there's only so much because we've got 40 something lectures on that in detail. So those who want that, they can go and listen to that. Inshallah, they're all on audio. You can download them, put them onto whatever you want and you can listen to them Inshallah. The, the minor signs, the ulama have explained the following as minor signs. I mentioned some of them. One is the Prophet's passing away and departure from this world. Baytul Maqdis, Jerusalem being conquered. Because in the time of the Prophet, Baytul Maqdis was not in the hands of the Muslims. It was under Heraclius, who was a, a Roman, a Roman Byzantine uh, emperor, the Christian Byzantine emperor. It was under them. Then after that, one of the other signs that the Prophet ﷺ talked about was the Ta'unul Amwas. Ta'un of Amwas, the plague of Amwas. The plague of Amwas hit the Muslim forces when they were in Sham in Syria. Abu Ubaidah ibn al-Jarrah and his forces. And it killed hundreds to thousands of people. And they're buried. And I think that place is actually called Amwas, which is today in uh, close to Jerusalem. In between Jerusalem and the airport, you pass by the area, it's become a national, they've actually made it a park now. And uh, there's only a few graves that you can actually see. Wallahu alam if that's the exact area. Another minor sign, uh, which is, uh, you, some of us won't be able to relate to this, whereas the older people will be able to relate to it. Istifadatul mali wal istighna'i anis sadaqah. It's not, that the second part is, has happened somewhere. Wealth being prevalent. Uh, if you compare the, the way people have money today compared to maybe just a hundred years ago and then hundreds of years ago and thousands of years ago, that kind of class difference of having lots of money, it's in the hands of the middle class now. But more importantly so, the Prophet said that a time will come when uh, there will be independence from even sadaqah, that there won't be anybody willing to accept sadaqah. This has happened at least once, if not more. And it happened uh, within the, it happened in about a hundred years after the Prophet Umar ibn Abdul Aziz his time. So his biographers, they mentioned that during his time in North Africa, your Morocco and all these areas, right? Whichever area was under there at the time, Egypt and other areas. The, the, the sadaqah, they had everybody, mashallah, it was distributed so well that everybody had enough. So now the new zakat that came in, there was nobody to accept it because nobody was technically poor to accept it. If, you, if our zakat, which is 2.5% of the wealth of the, of the wealthy who have a, um, above a certain amount, if you just take that and look at the statistics and you give that to the poor, uh, there, there should be no poor people in the world. But unfortunately, everybody doesn't give zakat. Right? Well, I don't think Bezos, Amazon guy, I don't think he gives zakat. Right? And um, uh, what's his name? Bill Gates, he gives a lot of sadaqah. But 
it's to certain you know projects and things. Alhamdulillah, he's doing good. May Allah give him tawfiq and, and hidayah and all of them, inshaAllah. Uthman radiallahu anhu's death, that's another sign. Then, the, uh, I, I, I mean, I can't, I don't want to just list all of these things, but uh, trustworthiness being lifted from the ummah, so you can't find any trustworthy people, that's another sign. There's a hadith about it in Sahih Muslim. Hudayfa radiallahu anhu mentioning that, وَتُرْفَعُ amana. Right? And uh, he, he's talking about where you can't trust too many people. Uh, claimants of prophecy, people who will claim to be prophets. We had that right from the time of the end of the Prophet and we still have people uh, from Pakistan. I've, I've, uh, I saw the video of one of them just a few months ago. There's a guy who is declaring himself to be the Prophet and uh, I don't know if some of you guys saw it. He's this guy with a big beard and he's saying, you know, you have to listen to me and all the rest of it. And then there's another one. I couldn't even bother listening to him. There's two more signs. Intisharu zina wa intisharu riba. We see that pretty much across the board, uh, the, the prevalence of zina. In England, I think it's less than, it's about 40 something percent of people are married. In a, uh, people who are in relationships, only 40 percent or so are actually married. Majority, which is over 50 percent, are not married. They're illegitimately, in an illegitimate, religiously illegitimate relationship. So that's intisharu zina. And even those who are married, there is so much adultery and fornication taking place. Allah preserve us because it's so easy to do this today. It's in your face. And that's a minor sign of the Day of Judgment. Of course, some places are worse than others, as you can see. Intishar or riba, usury being spread throughout the world. I mean, I can quote the hadith to you, but I'm just mentioning the title because we don't have too much time. Um, the whole... Econ economy system in the world is like that, even though it's gone through so many crashes. But there's too many people involved who make a lot of money through this. So that's why it's very difficult, even though <coughs> they, they've understood now that Islamic finance is a very sustainable way of finance. But that won't make profit for just a few people. That will spread the wealth and the greedy people will not let that happen. Another one you'd be surprised, but a sign of the Day of Judgment is Zakhrafatul Masajid wa Tabahi Biha. Adornment of Masajid and showing off with the things you construct. The Prophet ﷺ said that a time will come when the Masajiduhu Ma'amira, they will be in the Masajid will be well uh, um, decorated, but wa kharabun. They'll be desolate of hidayah and guidance. Allah save us from having that problem. Another one is a tatawul fil bunyan. Competing with each other for high buildings. We've seen that in Muslim countries. There's so many more kathratul qatl. Abundance of killing. Killing becoming easy. And look at what we've seen this now. Killing becoming easy. Forget, you know, we only hear about terrorism. We only hear about a few people who die in terrorism, which is bad. There are so many more people who are dying every day through uh, domestic violence. So many people dying of drug overdose. So many people dying of accidents and other normal local things, which the amount of money that they're spending on terrorism defense 
a lot of this stuff that is internal is being missed out. So many people, more people die through that. And then another sign is, I mean, for example, if you, if you know about gangs, the way they kill one another, they don't even know why they kill. They killed, and it's for small amounts of money, for, uh, for turf warfare, for uh, possession of this area or that area. Why people are being killed in abundance like that. Taqarubuz Zaman is another one. And this is something we all experience, which is that time flying. Time flies. You, you can hardly do anything. Your day just goes by. And again, I know this will be experienced differently in different countries. So if you go to, for example, maybe Morocco, if you go to Pakistan or India, I've seen that time is much slower in a village. And you can get a lot more done. Whereas when you're, when I'm in London, it's just too fast. So yataqarabu zaman. The Prophet said very clearly, when the time comes of, uh, you know, closer to, uh, one of the signs will be that your month will go by like a, like a week. Your your year will go by like a month. Uh, 2018 just flew by. Ramadan was just there, and now it's going to be very soon, right? How many months left for Ramadan? Five months. Four. I mean, we just passed Ramadan. Subhanallah. May Allah give barakah in our time. Another one is taqarubul aswaq. Global market. Subhanallah. Global market. Zuhurul fuhsh wa qati'atul raham wa su'ul jiwar. Bad neighborliness. You see in those countries who are against their neighbors, wanting to boycott their neighbors and so on. I mean, I don't want to mention names, so you know what I'm talking about. Zuhur al-Fuhsh, just immorality spreading among Muslims, non-Muslims, Muslim countries, immorality spreading. Even places where they had laws against immorality, it's been lifted and now they want to bring immorality inside. Qati'atul Rahim, cutting the ties of kinship, brothers going against one another. Allahu Akbar, there are so many, so many more. But anyway, there are so many more. Now I'm going to talk about the Ashratu Sa'atil Kubra, the big signs, because I think that's what everybody's interested in. The big signs, again, is a sign that will be global. So what is going to happen is there's a, the, the minor signs, they're going to intensify. They're going to intensify before the first major sign will come about. And what is the first major sign? Who knows what the first major sign is? The first major sign is the Mahdi radiallahu an. Very quickly after the Mahdi radiallahu an comes, Isa salam will come and Dajjal will come at the same time. Those are three of the big signs. Mahdi comes first and then the other two they come straight after or around the same time. So they are the three big signs. They will be a global phenomena. But it's gonna, what's going to happen before that is some of the minor signs they will become more intensified. And the Prophet ﷺ described that uh, about Syria, for example, that there's going to be a certain ruler there called Sufyani. He's given descriptions about him, who's going to use the masjid, the mimbar in the masjid, to commit some really bad things there. So there's going to be really a bad situation in the world. There's going to be, at that time, one of the signs will be that people will forget the Jal. People will forget the idea of the Jal. So when he comes, people won't recognize him. Because they'll have been, they, they wouldn't speak about him too much yet, for whatever reason. 
So the fact that we're actually talking about him right now may be a good thing. Pushes it back a bit more. It pushes it back a bit more maybe, right? And people will be so indulging in other things. So there, there, there will be several things that will happen closer to that time. The Euphrates is said that it will reveal gold. And everybody's going to go for it. Some say that this is black oil, wallahu alam. You know, you know, in all of these things, you have a lot of interpretations. In fact, over the course of my life, last 15, 20 years, I have heard at least five to seven predictions that Mahdi is alive, he's come. And uh, sorry, that he's alive, he's born already. And he's going to be revealed in this year. The last one was 2008, from what I remember. And all of these years, you know, you wait and you think. And, uh, and then suddenly 2008 came and went and nothing happened. So I want to say something to you before that. Let me, let me explain to you that Imam Suyuti, Rahmatullahi Ali, the great Shafi'i scholar of Egypt, he's, he's buried there, I've seen his, uh, his, his tomb is there in the graveyard. He died in 911 Hijri. So that means if he died in 911, he was born, he was born in uh, 8 something. So around the 890s, 890 Hijri which is just over a hundred years before the first Islamic millennium. All right, sorry, that, that's what I meant. The first thousand years. Do you remember, uh, who, who, who remembers the whole problem before the 2000 year, before the year 2000? Do you remember the, the Y2K? Everybody was a bit paranoid, the Y2K, things are gonna, there's gonna be a meltdown and all this problem. Some of you will remember that, right? Those of you who are millennials after that won't know this stuff. Right. This is now coming to the end of the first thousand years of Islam after Hijrah, 890 something. And people are saying that the world of Qiyamah is going to come at thousand years. Now remember this, this is documented stuff. In fact, one particular scholar of the time, he even wrote a book, uh, sorry, a collection in which he took certain hadith and interpreted them to show that Qiyamah will come and this Ummah is not going to go beyond 1000 years. It's going to end. Imam Suyuti Rahmatullahi did an in-depth study and he wrote a book, uh, a risala, a treatise on this, which was called Al-Kashf an Mujawazat Hadihi Al-Ummah Al-Alf, Treatise on the Passage of This Ummah Through the Millennium, that this Ummah will get through the millennium. And the way he proved it and he argued it is that he did some calculations based on the events which were supposed to occur. So if Mahdi is going to come, then uh, radiallahu anh, then um, Dajjal and Isa salam, and Isa salam, according to some hadith is going to live for this many years, then this is going to happen in hadith, he mentions this many years that this occurrence will happen. He said we need at least 200 years. According to what the Prophet has said, we still need 200 years for the Day of Judgment to occur. And from 890 something, for 200 years it's going to take you beyond 1000. So there's no way that the Qiyamah can come before 1000. So he used those proofs there. It was very interesting. So he quotes a number of narrations and he says that the duration of the world is 7000 years. Wallahu alam, that's what he said at the time. The Prophet came towards the end of the 6th millennium. The Jal will emerge at the end of a century followed by Prophet Isa who will kill him and then remain for 40 years in the world. People are then to remain in this world for 120 years after the rising of the sun from its setting space, place. 
there will be then 40 years between the two blasts of the trumpets. This amounts to 200 years in total, right? That are necessary to pass before the final hour. So he said, and this was in 898 he wrote this. 898 he wrote this. He says there are still only, a, there's only 102 years left now until 1000. And we still need 200 years to go. So there's no way that any of these things can come because none of the major signs like Mahdi, Gog, Magog, Isa uh, have yet come. So now if we are, what's the year now? 1440, right? It just became 14, we're in 1440. How many years left for 1500? 60 years, right? You know why I'm mentioning that? Because he said, that why they cannot come at 1000, he said that it will end by 1500. Can you believe it? Imam Suyuti, great muhaddis, faqih, jurist, one of our greatest scholars who've written so much, he defended that, he, he, uh, he argued against the idea of 1000, but he said it must come by 1500 years. Right now we have 40 years left and everything that he calculated for 200 years still hasn't occurred. So we still need another 200 years, minimum. So can you see all of these predictions, none of them come right. I don't know, has anybody else heard predictions? I've heard several predictions, I'm saying from different scholars who've looked into it and said, okay, I think it's going to be now, the events are really bad, events are really bad. But they've been worse. We only know this time because we are suffering at this time. Muslims, you know, we're being attacked. We've had it worse than this. I don't, I don't want to change my topic, but we've had it worse than this. And that's why I generally recommend the one book that everybody should read is The Saviors of Islamic Spirit because it shows the ups and downs. And it gives you a lot of himma. It gives you a lot of inspiration. Right? So, um, Let's, what I'm trying to tell you is that while we're going to discuss this, and the reason why a lot of people, they love to, uh, to l learn about the Mahdi and everything, which is good, alhamdulillah. But they think that that's the only way that we're going to be saved now. And they're literally like, uh, what they're doing is they are offsetting their responsibility onto Mahdi. That we, when he comes, he'll deal with everything. We have no responsibility. There's nothing that we can do. And that is a problematic way of thinking. Everyone has a responsibility. Every one of us has a responsibility. So now let's talk about the Mahdi. Radiallahu an. He will come. His, it says that his name is going to be what? Muhammad. He's going to be from the family of the Prophet. So he's going to be a Sayyid Sharif. Alright? His father's name is going to be Abdullah. And his mother's name is going to be. So all of these things are narrated. Many of these ahadith may be weak. Um, there are a number of ahadith in the Sahihain and others which indicate towards him, maybe not with name, but they indicate towards a person who's going to come. There are some people who, uh, who don't believe Mahdi is going to come, that it, it, there's no such person who's going to come. So I want to mention that he is, that there, are, there are ahadith to this effect which uh, indicate that he's going to, uh, well, there are weaker ahadith which are very detailed uh, and they try to say these are all weak, so they're, they're insignificant and so on. Right? But then there's numerous sahih hadiths which indicate towards him, a person like him going to come. Uh, but in terms of these details, he's going to come and he's going to be hidden. Nobody's going to know about him. But what then is going to happen is that, as I said, the world is going to be suffering quite a bit. 
A lot of people think it's now because the world is suffering. But we've had this suffering before. We, we've had the Tatars sweep through the Muslim lands, city after city, just totally leveling it to the ground, destroying everybody within, population, everything. And they came into Baghdad and killed a million people there, which was the Darul Khilafah of the Muslim world. They killed a million people in Baghdad alone. All right? they, uh, the, the Crusaders, when they took Jerusalem afterwards, that there was over 90 years that there was no namaz, no salat, no adhan, nothing. At least right now, all of that is happening. So it's been much worse, I would say. It's not the worst we're fearing. Alhamdulillah. Right? Uh, so uh, the, the, don't be so depressed. So when Mahdi, he will be alive. Um, I don't know if he's going to know I am the man or what. Wallahu alam, I don't know that. But it says that the, the great ulama of the world, the great ulama of the world, Every year they're going to be going for Hajj because Mahdi radiallahu an when he's going to be revealed, it's going to be during the pilgrimage. So what will happen, uh, apparently it says, is that the, the seven or eight great scholars of the world from different areas, they will go and they will meet one another, maybe by chance or whatever. Why are you here for? Why are you? Oh, we're looking for Mahdi. The situation now is so bad that we need to find this Mahdi. So... There's this whole detail that they will look for him in Makkah, Mukarramah, and he will run to Medina Munawwara. He's running away. Because he probably knows that they're looking for a person of his characteristic. They go to Medina Munawwara, he comes to Makkah, Mukarramah. Finally, they manage to get him by the cloth of the Kaaba, and they say, look, this responsibility is now yours. Right? You can't escape this responsibility anymore. So then he will declare himself. And when he declares himself, this everybody will find out. So that's why it becomes a major sign. Now, there, uh, there will be certain happenings in Syria. Right? And, I know, and I know that a lot of happenings have happened in Syria. And may Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala relieve our brothers and sisters there and remove that oppression. But uh, eventually Mahdi radiallahu an will, en will end up in Syria. Now the Jamil Umawi right <clears throat> it's a massive masjid very long built by walid ibn abdul malik by the umayyads i used to go and study on the right hand side the qibla wall on the right hand side is where sheikh abdul razak al halabi used to be there may allah bless him rahimahullah on the left hand side on the other side is so big like you can't even see it clearly on the other side that is where the manaratul bayda is the the eastern minaret and outside of that area, in that area is the Christian area, right? That's where the Christians live, even today. So it says that the Christians and the Muslims and some Jews would have gathered when Mahdi radiallahu anhu comes. And Isa salam will suddenly descend. Now this is either Dhuhr or Asr time, around that time. They're about to start the prayer. Mahdi radiallahu anhu is the leader of the Muslim army. And he's about to start the prayer. When suddenly Isa salam will descend on two angels. Now this is going to be like miraculous, obviously. right? He's going to descend on two angels wearing some kind of orange garment or something like that with water as though he's just taken a shower. As though he's just had a bath, water dripping from his forehead. He's going to come down to the minaret and then he's going to ask for a ladder. Wallahu alam, right? Because 
The angels have brought him down. Now he's in the world. He comes down. Isa salam, the, the prophet Isa salam, comes down. But although he's a prophet because he's been a prophet before, he does not come down in the capacity of a prophet now. He comes down as an ummati of the Prophet sallam, his ummah. So he's a prophet, but he is not coming in the capacity. He's not wearing the hat of a prophet, if you know what I mean. Right? That's not his function right now. So he will come down, they will enter the masjid, and when Mahdi radiallahu anhu sees him, he will say, you go, you lead the prayer. He will say, no, it, it, the iqama was given for you, so you lead the prayer. So he leads the prayer, but then after that, Isa takes over. Now Isa says, I need to go, because now Dajjal has already come out, and he's causing problems around the world. So Dajjal is basically, Dajjal has a lot of stories, but the Jal, Allah is going to give him certain powers. For example, the changing of weather. Allowing crops to grow in certain places and not in other places. And you know, there's a lot of people who read into a lot of this. For example, right now we actually have these super seeds that certain companies in America have produced. You buy, the, you buy it from them. They're sterile seeds, which means they only work for one bumper crop. They provide a huge crop. But then you have to buy seeds next year because they don't re-fertilize. The other problem is that they suck a lot of the minerals out of the ground, apparently. So what's happened is that people who've started using that, well, I haven't looked at this very closely, but it actually destroys their land. And Sudan was one of the biggest producers of wheat at one time. Right. Sudanese, any brothers Sudanese here? Right. Sudan used to be one of the biggest wheat producers. But I think now it's probably America, right? Um, they, there's a lot of uh, trials of uh, weather, uh, manipulating the weather, right? And, and so on and so forth. Dajjal has all of these abilities. <clears throat> if you listen, I mean, the, the description is that he's going to have one eye, because the other eye, there'll be a problem with that. There will be a kafara written on his forehead. <clears throat> What is going to be written in, how it's going to look, Allah knows best. But it says that anybody with true Iman will figure that out. They will see the sign. Yep, I don't trust this guy. He will make certain promises. So many people who are with him, they will prosper. <clears throat> it says he will have a donkey who will have ears. This is the description. He will have a donkey whose ears will be this many cubits, meters long. Sounds strange, doesn't it? Why would you have a donkey with so wide ears? But there were no planes in those days. So what else are you going to describe it as? And it just, it just sounds like a private jet. I mean, when you think about these things, it make it make sense. How would the Prophet is not going to say he had a private jet, an airstream jet. He's not going to say that. It's like, what the heck is an airstream jet? You know, nobody's got that in their mind. So he, 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 this is how it was described. <clears throat> so, if you're with him, then you get a lot of these worldly benefits, but then that's your hell. And if you're not with him, then it's difficult. Already a lot of minor signs are creating that same kind of attitude. right? So, Damascus to Jerusalem is not that far away. right? It's a, it's a distance, it's a short distance away, it's a distance away. Um, so Isa will then hurry over there. Now Dajjal, he's been going around the different areas causing massive havoc and problem. 
and there will be one person who uh, will say, I challenge you, I disagree with you. So Dajjal will, uh, Dajjal will have him chopped in half, separated, and then he'll bring him back together and he'll say, do you believe me now? Now that's amazing. Like, wow, you could do this? He says, now I know you're definitely the Dajjal because this is what our Prophet has told us. That is what you'll do. And then he'll try to finish him again, but he won't be able to do that. Dajjal is given certain powers. Now you might be thinking, why, why? This is a fitna. And I think this is the test. This is clearly a test from Allah that he's going to give him these things. <clears throat> he has, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has reminded us through the ahadith as we're doing today, that these are events that are going to happen. If you're in touch with your deen <clears throat> and you know these things, you have the knowledge of your deen, you will be able to see these things clearly. And that's why the Prophet ﷺ said, whoever recites man qara'a ashra ayatin min awwali surah al-kahf in another version min awakhiri surah al-kahf usima min fitnati al-dajjal reciting surah al-kahf on Fridays is very powerful against the dajjal. And it's, it's a very wholesome thing. You should look at the tafsir of Surah Al-Kahf. Surah Al-Kahf has three or four or five, at least three very prominent, four stories. And most of them are related to the fitness of this world as we do the materialism and so on and so forth and Iman. So <clears throat> inshallah, if we recite at least the first 10 or the last 10 verses of Surah Al-Kahf every Friday, if not the entire surah, Allah will save us, inshallah, from these fitna. Because the jal is going to be so confusing, so confusing and ambiguous, that he has been described as being one of the most toughest and most severe fitnas that you will deal with. So for example, what is your fitna? Each one of us, what is our fitna? A fitna is anything that distracts us from Allah. So what is our fitna? WhatsApp is our fitna maybe? Cell phone is a mobile, cell phone is a fitna. But worse still for men, women are a fitna. Right? Not because they are evil bad, but it's just our relationship with them is such that we get attracted. Right? What's a fitna for women then? Shopping. Is that what you said? Handbag, shopping, right? Okay, whatever it is. Everybody's got their own fitna, okay? Everybody has their own fitna. Whatever that, some people for their fitna is eating too much. Alright, so whatever is tough, Dajjal is going to be tougher than that. That's why I don't know those of you who are interested in waiting for Mahdi and Dajjal. I'm not interested. I would rather be gone from this world before they come. Seriously. Because it's going to be turmoil. If you think right now it's confusing, it's going to be a lot more confusing then. See what's right and wrong. I don't want to be around at that time. I'm serious. If you want to see, well, you can meet Isa alayhi salam. I'll meet him in the hereafter, inshallah. I don't want to meet him in this world if I, if I can help it. Because then there's going to be Dajjal. Because I want to be protected. I want to go before that. Hopefully on Iman. Inshallah on Iman. All of us. So, Dajjal will do all of these crazy things. <clears throat> and finally, he gets to... Now, you know, I know some of you have gone to Jerusalem, right? You guys, uh, those who went, I know that there was a group that went to Jerusalem, Baytul Maqdis, Masjid Laksa. Did you guys go to Lud? You went to Lud? There's that Babu Lud. Now, ba the, Lud is actually in what is currently called Israel, in the occupied part, the, uh, in, in Israel proper. It's by the Ben-Gurion International Airport. It's like the, one of the closest towns to the airport. And there's a Tabligi Markas there as well, by the way. Right? In Lud, there's a Tabligi Markas. And this Bab Lud 
is in the middle of a dual carriageway. This big street, there's nothing else there in the middle of the street and just this building, right? They say this is where Dajjal is going to be killed by Isa salam, very close to the airport. Then you know that he's got that big donkey with the long thingy, so it makes, starts making a lot more sense, doesn't it now? Right? That it, because the Ben-Gurion International Airport is right by there, right close to it. That's, this is all ijtihad of my, my conjecture. It could be correct, inshallah. Right? But either way, when Isa salam goes there, Dajjal, the word, the meaning of Dajjal, the reason he's called Dajjal is Dajjal, the word Dajjal. Dajjal means what? Huh? Liar and uh, deceiver. Showing things to be different than they are. That's a Dajjal, that's what you call Dajjal. Alright? And he's the biggest one who will do that. So when Isa Islam goes there, it's related in one of the narrations, and Allah knows best about these narrations because these little details, some of them are from weaker narrations, right? He's gonna say, Hey, it's salat time, come on, let's start prayer. Trying to show Isa Islam that he is a believer. But Isa Islam will know him, and it says that the jar will just melt. It'll just be finished off, just like salt in, in water. Isa will be given that power. Now what's very interesting is that remember if we go back to Jerusalem, uh, to Damascus in the Masjid al-Umawi when Isa has come, the Christians are waiting there as there's a big Christian population in Syria. Isa will declare to them who he is and he will declare Islam is the truth. So most if not all of the Christians will become Muslim. That's why it says that there will be a few tasks that Isa will do. He will destroy all the crosses. There will be no need for crosses, Christians will become Muslims, right? He will kill all the swine, right? I don't think anybody's going to be eating them anymore. Because Jews don't eat them anyway, Muslims don't eat them. And uh, he is going to remove any jizya. So now, because we're getting now very close to the Day of Judgment, there's going to be no jizya anymore. Because before, if a Muslims take over and people don't want to be Muslim, they don't have to be, they just pay a jizya. But now there's no option of jizya anymore at that time. So now what happens is, um, after Dajjal is killed, then Isa salam, you know, people obviously flock to him. And now there's uh, the army of Dajjal, he's going to be supported by many Yahud. It says many of them will not become Muslim and they will actually support him. Right? And then there's this whole story about the Gharqad, that the flower, that there's this certain bush which will speak. Somehow, when we say speak, to, you know, before it would be speaking like they will make a, you know, they will speak to you like human speak. But nowadays, it's quite easy to understand these things because we have this concept of the smart doorbell, right? The smart shoe, the smart watch, the smartphone, right? The Prophet ﷺ said in his time that a time is going to come when your shoes will speak to you. And that just sounded impossible, right? It sounded impossible. How does shoe? Now your shoes can speak to you. Right? Because you know they have a chip and they can speak to your iPhone and all the rest of it. In fact, you know when Abu Bakr Siddiq who was told by the Kuffar at the time that your, prof, your friend says that he went to Jerusalem and then up and came back in one night and he believed him. We believe it as well, right? But for us to believe it, that is easier than Abu Bakr believing it. You know why? Because at that time, you couldn't even go so many miles in one day. Now, in one day, you can go around the world. And, and soon, I mean, they've been to Mars. They, they've set a rover on Mars. And they can probably go... Be, 
that's it suddenly you know the the some of the non-muslims when they for example you know this mahdi hassan so i remember on one bbc i think it was bbc they turned around to him and they said so you believe that your prophet went on a horse like thing up to the heavens so he says yes because it sounds so from a materialistic perspective it sounds so absurd but to be honest now from a physics perspective it's become from the possibilities we haven't reached that far yet but we've been beyond the universe beyond the world we've been beyond uh, space so it's from the possibilities no longer is it an impossibility or an inconceivability so for us to understand these things today is much easier to be honest right we don't even require that much iman as much abu bakr the only required because for him he he didn't even have a car in a, a car or a train they were they were dealing with the fastest and probably a horse right so you have to remember these things that allah is making it much easier for us with all of these progress the jal is gone now uh, now isa salam it says that now peace will reign in the world peace will reign all evil will go such peace will reign that the mo that the most deadly animals will be with uh, you know other animals they'll be living together they'll have no problem everybody will become a believer now the world over everybody will be a believer except one group the ya'juj hatta idha futihat ya'juj wa ma'juj wa hum min kulli hadabin yansilun they will just start pouring out right the, the, the ya'juj is a long story about that i don't want to get into that but there's somewhere wallahu alam where they are but when they start coming out they will a river will come when the first lot go there will be water there when the last ones go, uh, when the last ones pass by, there'll be no water left. They would have drunk it up. They're gonna be khatarnak, as they say. I don't see any word in English for it. You know, khatarnak, right? They're just deadly. They are. Now the thing is that everybody with Isa salam, they will retreat to Mount Sinai or somewhere. I can't remember Mount Tur, I think, right? And Isa salam will have no power against Yajuj Majuj. He had power against Jesus, uh, sorry, against uh, Dajjal, but he has no power here. So they're just, you know, protecting themselves. And then he makes a dua. Finally, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will send a certain, you know, disease or something. And eventually they will all die. And then Allah will it'll be smelling badly. And then Allah will send some rain and, and then he will all be cleansed out. But why is, does Isa alayhi why is he given power against Dajjal, but not against Yajuj Ma'juj? Some of the ulama mention, it's probably because, remember all of those Christians have become Muslim. This is to help them maintain their faith. Because remember, they thought Jesus was God. He's killed Dajjal. Okay, that starts causing issues in your mind that he must be God because he's killed Dajjal. Now when they see that he ha they have no effect, when he has no, uh, he has no effective power, right, against Yajuj Ma'juj, that's going to basically help them to maintain their faith. Wallahu alam. Allah knows best. Then after that, Isa will continue. They say he's about 40 years. He'll stay in this world. They say he's going to get married as well. Then he will die a normal death. Human death. Because he hasn't died a human death. He was lifted up, right? And then they say that he's going to be buried next to Aisha uh, in Aisha's room, the Hujra, where the Prophet Abu Bakr and Umar, there's a space there. He's going to be buried there. Wallahu alam. Allah knows best. And uh, after he goes, then slowly, slowly, corruption will start again. And people will start going away from the faith again. 
That is going to take a long time, by the way. This is not like overnight. They say that there's going to be a long time after this. Wallahu alam. There's different opinions about this. So that's why I say that you can't just say Mahdi is going to come tomorrow, Qiyamah is the next day. No. There's a long time after this. It takes a while for people to mess up again. Then what's going to happen is, uh, one day what's going to happen is that Maghrib time would have occurred. Maghrib. Maghrib means the place of the setting of the sun. Ghurub, right? The place of the west. So the sun would have set. And then suddenly it arises again in the opposite way. Now, astronomers have looked at this phenomenon that this is going to happen someday and they've given some, it's going to take this long for the sun to lose its helium or whatever is inside and they've got this whole, you know, I haven't really looked into it, it's a lot of astronomy and physics there. So anyway, the sun will suddenly rise again after it has set, which will be really strange. And then after that it will set and then it will set normally again. But now this is a sign that the doors of acceptance are closed. Now nobody can become a Muslim, right? Because Tawbah can't be accepted anymore. Those who are believers, they're believers. Those who are non-believers, they're non-believers. Now this Dabbatul Ard is going to come. This beast, which is going to be like a, uh, a mixture of different animals. There's descriptions mentioned, Allah knows. But we know that the beast is going to come. Allah says, Right? That we know that Dabba is going to come, and then there's narrations that talk about exactly how he's going to, regardless of how he looks, right? The point is that this Dabba is going to go around and he's going to mark everybody. So if you're a believer, you're a believer. If you're a disbeliever, you're a disbeliever. It's going to be marked. You can't move then afterwards. Then there's going to be a number of other things that happens, and then finally there will be this soft wind that will blow. And anybody who's a believer will feel it under his armpit and eventually they will die because of that. They will, they will pass out, they will pass away. Now the majority, overwhelming majority of the people in this world are those who don't say Allah, Allah. There's a hadith in Sahih Muslim which is very clear. It says that the subsistence of this world, the, the battery of this world is Allah, Allah. That's why it says that the animals they love, the ulama and the sulaha. Those who teach about Allah and those who take the name of Allah, they're loved by the animals and everything in this world because they are the batteries of this world. That's how the world sustains itself. Nourishment. So now when there's hardly any Allah, Allah, it looks like from some other hadith that there will be some people who will have some faith. Because remember, there's those people who will be saying, I've heard that karima, my grandmother or my grandfather used to say this. And the, you do hear about when the Day of Judgment will occur that there will be someone with some belief. But it looks like the majority will be gone. Now it's mostly evil. There's hardly any Allah, Allah taking place in this world. So that's when the Day of Judgment will come. That's when the last day, the waqi'ah, the, the haqa, that's when that will occur. So... Uh, to finish off, I can maybe, if anybody has any questions about anything we read, we can open it up for that if we've got time. But the main thing is, uh, the message for this, is that the minor signs, I would suggest you go and listen to that series on zamzamacademy.com, especially all the minor signs, and we try to avoid as much of it as possible. We don't want to contribute to the minor signs. Uh, to, to, uh, to, 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 to remove the constraintment of time and the barakah, to get back barakah in time, you need to do dhikr of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. People before us, the generations before us, mashallah, they had many ups and downs. If you read that Saviors of Islamic Spirit, uh, in fact, we've got a lecture on that. We should be, it should be coming up in the next uh, week or two. 
right, about the ups and downs in brief, if you don't want to read the whole book, right? But it gives you a lot of himma. But one of the things I would say, if you look at history, one of the things which kept people sustained was that they had a certain amount of dhikr they would do every day. You know, aside from your normal prayers that you're supposed to do and everything, you need to sit down every day and do some extra du'as and some dhikr of Allah. And that's why generally one of the best books I found in terms of that is Al-Hizb Al-A'zam. Can you give me a copy if you've got one? Right. Al-Hizb Al-A'zam. This is a collection by Mullah Ali Al-Qadi. He wrote it because he saw so many people in Makkah in those days reading, mashallah, adhering to a lot of adhkar and ma'mulat. But he says that unfortunately some of them, they were reading these fabricated du'as and these, you know. So he said, I decided to do those which are completely sahih and, uh, and uh, what do you call it, reliable. So this particular collection, it has all of the du'as in there. And you can read it in four months if you want to. Just read two pages a day. Right? So one page a day if you want. There's 134 pages. 134 divided by 30. That's just... Uh, 3, 6, 9, 12, just over 4 months, even if you read one page a day. They technically say you should read maybe in 7 days altogether, but even if you read. It has all the du'as in there that we need to be asking from Allah that w is good for us to have, even if we don't realize it. Amazing du'as like, oh Allah, give me, make my last days better than my early days. Now that's something we don't even think about. Oh Allah, make me respectable in the eyes of people, but make me small in my own sight so I do better. Right? Amazing du'as like that and everything we should be seeking refuge from. It's got it in there. You need to take up something. Istighfar, salawat, durood sharif, um, uh, what do you call it, Quran reading. This is what's going to sustain us inshallah because that's going to charge our heart up. Otherwise these signs, we're going to get carried away in these signs. So we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the tawfiq that our death is closer to us than any mahdi that's going to come. Right? That is more important. Now we're waiting for Mahdi. We've outsourced everything to him. Right? We don't even know him yet. And then we die. We need to stand in front of Allah tomorrow. So let us sort ourselves out before this. This is just as a reminder of the evil that will be in this world. We ask Allah to protect us from the evil of this world. And we ask Allah that do not let us be the evil of this world. We blame everybody else. But what about if we're the keys of evil? We're leading people astray. We're dealing the wrong haram products. Right? You have to think about this. Are you involved in this? Are your children involved in this? You don't know maybe? Because you're working all day and all night and your children are maybe on the streets dealing drugs or taking drugs? And some of our own children that you will know, our own Moroccan, Indian, Pakistanis, like, you know, they are involved in this. They're dealing this. They're selling this stuff. The lives they kill, the, the, the lives, uh, their own lives and other lives. It may be our own children and nephews, God forbid. We need to wake up to this reality. Because this is serious stuff. This is, har this is just really harmful things. We ask Allah for protection. So we will be on the Day of Judgment. We don't want to be responsible uh, for our own, you know, for our own, uh, even for our neighbors. We ask Allah for protection. The brother they're asking, there's a lot of confusion today. You know, who do you listen to? Like our brother just mentioned here, there's... Our uh, Ghamidi Sahib in Pakistan, there's people, various different views they're throwing out there, which obviously causes a lot of confusion. Even if you forget them, there's a lot of other confusion. I've been thinking about that for a, quite a while now, and I think, inshallah, I think the only way to figure this out is that I will give you four principles of how to determine
what you should follow. Because today, even when you look online, even locally, when you see, there are so many conflicting views. So this is what I would suggest you do. Number one, you will use four criteria to determine what is correct and what is incorrect. Right? Number one, you will have to find a scholar who has a tradition of learning from scholars. So there's a reliability. He has actually studied from reliable scholars and who studied from reliable scholars because our deen is about a chain up to the Prophet So anybody who's linked to that chain, not somebody who's just come and he's read a lot and then he's got his own ideas. Because you can have that. But that's not valid. Right? Because at the end of the day, we've got a chain of tradition that's coming down. Number one. Number two, that scholar, he may have studied like that, but how does he carry his faith? How does he present his faith? The way they operate, the way they behave, the way they dress, the way they interact. Is he following that religion? Does he, is he like the Prophet ﷺ? Or does he look wacky and strange? Saying, it's okay to be like this. Do, do you see what I'm saying? I mean, when you see that person, are you like, is this a scholar? Right? You, you know what I mean? And I'm not saying that just because somebody looks like he's got a big turban on that he's the best scholar. No. Right? There's lots of people who have big turbans and everything, but they haven't really studied so well. And there's still two more criteria, by the way. So the first criteria is reliability, authenticity, and uh, what do you call it? Uh, solid knowledge. Because without that, it's just ideas, right? Number two, the way they carry and present and embody that knowledge. And number three, very important, how do other scholars view them? Right? How do other scholars view this person? Because look, if I've got a, if I've got a physical medical problem and there's somebody who says, I can cure you, and the other's Doctors are like, no, you can't trust this guy. Right? Then I'm going to be careful about that person. Because at the end of the day, when you, what you call peer, peer support, where your own peers, uh, there could be some jealousy between peers as well, give and take. Generally, if the scholars say, yes, we can trust this individual. Because we don't know, right? So we're going to have to do. That's number three. And number four, ask Allah for the truth. Allahumma arina al-haqqa haqqan wa razukna tiba'a. وَأَرِنَ الْبَاطِلَ بَاطِلًا وَرَزُقْنَ اشْتِنَابًا Oh Allah, you say this in English if you want Urdu, whatever language or Arabic. Oh Allah, show me the truth as the truth and allow me to follow it. And show me the wrong as the wrong and allow me to abstain from it. Inshallah, if you do those things, those four and you identify one or two scholars like that, then hold on to them, stick to them and then forget everybody else. Otherwise it's too confusing. This is what I do. I have questions as well. I, go, I have a few people like this. When ISIS came out, there were a few people I looked at, right? And I said, okay, what do you guys say? And that's, th that is your safety. Because Allah says, you should ask the people of knowledge if you know, if you don't know. All right, so that was your question. Uh, back here. Okay, the brother is just uh, asking that if the Prophet ﷺ had mentioned the plague, then the Sahaba should have known that. So he's just wondering, so I'm wondering exactly what the wording is used for the plague so we can... Uh, we, 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 because I, I, the response I gave was that um, the, the hadith are not always like completely graphic. They're, they're sometimes ambiguous. So look at this. The hadith is from Awf ibn Malik. The Prophet said, 
um, look out for or consider six things before the Day of Judgment. Right, like these six things will have to happen before the Day of Judgment. He mentioned the others and then he said, Thumma Mautan. Then there's going to be a lot of death, like abundant plague of death. Which is going to affect you like a certain disease that afflicts the sheep. Alright? A certain disease that afflicts the sheep. That's what he said. Now that could have come later. He didn't say when it was going to occur. He said that it's just going to occur. Now Ibn Hajar says, This is not definitive, but this is what Ibn Hajar, one of our great muhaddithin, he said that this particular sign occurred during the ta'un of Amwas because it fitted this description of the way it affected the, the, the sheep. You know, there was the same similar kind of thing. This was after the conquest of Bayt al-Maqdis. Right, and then he, he basically then explains that. So th this is, you can, uh, I mean, others could maybe argue otherwise if they want that, if there's another plague that fits the bill more. Because he didn't say it's going to be at Amwas. He said it was going to be a really severe death plague that's going to affect you like uh, goats are affected. So not all of them are clear cut, by the way. Some are clear cut, the death of the Prophet, etc. Some of them are very clear cut. Allah protect us, Allah protect us, Allah allow us to prepare. Wa akhiru da'wana an alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen. We'll make a short dua and then we'll finish. Allahumma anta as-salam wa minka as-salam tabarakli adil jalali wal ikram. Allahumma ya hannanu ya mannan la ilaha illa anta subhanaka inna kunna min al-zalimin. Oh Allah, we ask you for your mercy. Oh Allah, we ask you for your protection. Oh Allah, we ask you for your guidance and your knowledge. Oh Allah, we ask you for your love and your blessing. O oh Allah, forgive us all of our wrongdoings, our shortcomings, our oversights. O oh Allah, forgive our sins. O oh Allah, forgive us our sins. O oh Allah, all those which have brought darknesses into our lives and our homes and our families, that have torn us apart, that have taken the barakah away from us. O oh Allah, allow us to take out of our lives all the evil things that we do, and especially those things that we don't even recognize to be evil. O oh Allah, we ask that you bless all of us. You bless us with Iman and with strength in our Iman and conviction in our Iman. You protect us from all of the challenges. You protect us, our children, our progeny until the Day of Judgment from all the fitna and all the challenges that are out there. O oh Allah, we ask you to protect us from the fitna of Dajjal. We ask you to protect us from the fit all types of fitna which are out there. And O oh Allah, we ask that you bless all of those who are trying in this time and age and the time to come and those who have gone before us to try to establish the faith and to strengthen the faith and to educate the people. Oh Allah, those who've made this program come about today. Oh Allah, and establish these madaris and establish these organizations. Oh Allah, bless them all. Oh Allah, grant them a goodly reward. And all those who are sitting here who are listening, oh Allah, do not allow them to leave here without being blessed and without f being fulfilled with your light and without being completely forgiven. Oh Allah, forgive us all and send your abundant blessings on our messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam and grant us his company in the hereafter. Subhana rabbika rabbil izzati amma yasifun wa salamun al-mursaleen. Alhamdulillah.